0: Can you all? hear, Is this on? Is there all right? Everybody hear? You can't hear? I don't know. Can you turn it up, maybe? I guess. I don't know. Whatever. There we go. Now I can. Now I can hear it on. Good. Well, it's so good to be here. It's 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 fun over the last uh, few times that I've come. Uh, your numbers are increasing, which is awesome. Thankful to God for that, and uh, thankful to God for what He is doing in your lives. Well. It was a number of years ago, an awful long, long time ago, uh, it was even before I became a Christian, um, I went to this crusade conference, and I had this little Bible that was given to me when I was about four years old, and I brought it to the conference, and one of the first verses I underlined, uh, even before I became a Christian, was John 10.10, that I've come, that you might have life, and that you might have it. Abundantly. So I underscored that in Romans 8 28. Those are the two verses that I underscored uh, before I became a Christian. And, and I, I would just imagine everybody here would love to have an abundant life, but if I asked the question, are you really feeling like you're living an abundant life right now? I don't know how you would answer that uh, either yes or no, but that's exactly what Jesus promised. Well, there was a guy in the mid 1800s. Uh, his name was, he was an author by the name of Henry David Thoreau. And uh, he was was challenged. He was sort of fed up with life. He actually, in one of his books that he wrote in 1854, Walden, uh, called Life in the Woods, uh, he he was in love with life, and he says, living is so dear. He talked about how, how much he loved life. Living was so dear, and he wanted to suck all the marrow out of life. He wanted to do that, but he was so frustrated with life around him. He was frustrated with all the trivialities of life. He talked about fashion, social status, food, houses, wealth accumulation. And he called it the shams, delusions, and vanity parasites, which plagued all mankind. He even referred to that. He said the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And so what he wanted to do, was to figure out what would be the answer, what would allow him to discover the purpose and meaning of life. So Emerson, a a guy who was mentoring him, gave him this little cabin in the woods called Walden, Walden Pond. It was on a pond around Concord, Massachusetts, and he lived there for two years, uh, two months, and two days in order to discover what life, meaning a life, was all about. And he figured certainly with the simplicity of life, with the solitude of life, with the minimization of life, he would discover the purpose of life. But after two years, two months, two days, what he discovered was that's not the answer. And I thought, well, gosh, here you are stuck in this little cabin in the woods for over two years, and he, he was reading the classics, the classics in, in Latin and in Greek. If he would have just read Solomon, who wrote three, 3,000 years earlier, I mean, he said whether it's striving after things or it's the lack of things, it's vanity. It's vanity. And it's just a striving after the wind. And that's exactly what Luke recorded a, 2000 years ago when he said take care be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions now it doesn't matter it's possessions because we're going to say it doesn't matter if it's a whole lot of possessions or it doesn't matter if there're no possessions it, life just isn't there and so Paul lets us in on the secret if we really want if we do value life and and Thoreau really did. He said, living is so dear, and if we really do value it, Paul said, you're going to discover it here. You're going to discover it in Philippians 1.21, where he just simply says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, about that same time in the same year, 61 A.D., not only did Paul write Philippians, he also wrote Ephesians, where he says that we are his workmanship, And you and I are created in Christ Jesus for good works, and this blows my mind, which God actually prepared beforehand that we should actually walk in these things. So we want to agree with Thoreau. And we agree, living is very dear. But it's not going to come through simplicity, solitude, minimization, But where the fulfillment is going to come from is when God gives us these transitory gifts, he allows us to use these gifts to steward those gifts of God for not, not only our enjoyment, yes, it includes our enjoyment, but it also is for the ultimate glory of God for his kingdom and for the good of others. That's why the Apostle Paul instructs us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, as for the rich, for, for those who might have more things, for the rich, charge them not to be haughty. Don't, don't whatever, because this isn't the secret of life. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who he richly provides for you everything you need to enjoy life. That's John 10.10. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. God provides us everything to enjoy, there to do good, to be rich in life. Good works, and Ephesians 2.10 says, you, know, you, you were created for this, to, to walk in these things, to be generous, to be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And again, Luke 12.15 says, that's not the abundance of possessions, that's somewhere else, something else. So what we're going to discover is that really for every single one of us, there are three options in all of life. You can either waste your life, you can spend your life, and that, that could be, the, as Thoreau would say, the trivialities, the sham parasites of life. You can waste it, you can spend it. The third thing you can do is invest your life. Invest your life uh, in something that's going to outlast your life. For God's glory, for the good of God's kingdom, and for the good of others. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So if I'm going to summarize and give you sort of a big idea of what I'm going to talk about, that is a disciple should be generous. Generous with your time, with your talents, with your treasure, because everything has been given to you by God for your enjoyment, but, but it's far more than just your enjoyment, but also for the furtherance of God's kingdom, kingdom and for the good of others. You know, Jesus at this point uh, knew... Th- this is the, We're gonna look at a passage that's at the end of Matthew. And so at this point when he writes his parable, he knows that his life, he, he's getting ready to, to depart this earth. And so he's gonna be rejected as the Messiah And he wanted to make sure that his disciples, after he goes, that this is what they would do. They they would take everything about their lives and they would invest their lives and not just waste it, not just spend it, but invest it. So he gives us this wonderful parable in Matthew chapter 25. It's filled with some incredible principles. And I'm going to elucidate some of these principles. Do you have a bulletin? Do you have bulletins here? You don't even have bulletins here. Oh, well, you're gonna have it up here maybe. Hopefully you'll have it up here. We're gonna look at seven principles. You're going to have, we're gonna look at seven principles uh, that's gonna help. But there's so many applications. And I'm, I've listed a few, I've called them lessons, takeaway lessons, and, and you can write them down. There's so many more than just uh, what we're gonna look at today. But it's it's an incredible, beautiful picture. and. Um, you think, why, should, why shouldn't we invest our lives for the kingdom? This, this is exactly what God did for us. God, God loved us so much, he gave. For God so loved the world, he gave. Jesus loves us, Jesus gives to us. And this is exactly what we can do. The other option certainly doesn't work. You, you can't even get past the first couple chapters of Genesis without realizing the other option just doesn't work. You get to Genesis 3, and trying to have life be about ourselves doesn't cut it. That was the whole fall. That that was the fall, and we have an entire Bible trying to communicate to us that, look, that path didn't work. God wants us um, for me to live as Christ because God had actually become a human being, God in the flesh, to save us from ourselves, to pay the debt of sin, and so that we could live a life that would honor and glorify him. So like Thoreau, we want our lives absolutely to count because living is so dear. Now, how in the world do we live in such a way that we experience this abundant life? So let's look at Matthew 20. If you have your Bible, look at Matthew 25. Matthew 25. um, And we're going to look at these seven principles. And the first principle is the principle of ownership. You absolutely have to start there. That everything I have belongs to God everything. God made it all. God owns it all. Psalm 24 one says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So everything that you can see here, God owns. Uh, whether you live 10 years or 100 plus years, uh, God owns it all and you get to use it for a limited amount of time, but you never really own anything. The Bible's super clear. We are stewards of what God owns. We are not owners. Stewards, not owners. We're managers, but we're not possessors. We are distributors, but we're not hoarders. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Thieves are going to even break in and steal. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Then if we skip down to verse 33, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what you seek. And then all all these other things are going to come to you. All these other things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own uh, trouble. So this is driven home in Matthew 25. The first verse of this parable is in verse 14. For it is like, it's a parable, okay? Jesus is talking to his disciples. He wants to equip them. He's getting ready to die. And they've got to be effective. After he, after he leaves this earth. It's like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them, what's the next word? Entrusted to them his property. That's the principle of ownership. His property. Everything we have comes from God. That's the principle of ownership. But the second principle is one of allocation. God has given to me, to you, to every one of us, at least some talents. So the parable continues. one he gives five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then the master goes away. Now our word for talent actually comes from this story. So there are a lot of different kinds of talents, okay? Uh, here he's not just talking, about, he is talking about money, but it's not just money. It's things like abilities, uh, resources, and especially for the disciples. It's not only their abilities, it's not only their resources, but it's also opportunities that they're going to have. So those are all, to, all, the, all those are a trust. They're gifts of God. We don't own them. They're allocated to us, or as Ephesians 2.10 says, they were planned for us to walk in those things, okay? Um, The the point is, the lesson is this. The amount may differ, but everybody is going to get something. There are no no no-talent people. Everybody has something from God, a gift from God. You are unique, you're different, but you absolutely have a gift from God. Now, I'm going to skip verses 16, 17, and 18 just for a second because I want to drive 19 home, and then we're going to come back to 16, 17, and 18. So, let's catch up. Ownership, God owns it all. Allocation, not only does he own it all, he gave you some talents. Third principle is accountability. God expects you to use your abilities, your resources, and your opportunities Expects you to accountability. Let's say, for example, you, you happen upon a thousand dollars, ten thousand, a hundred thousand, I don't know how much. And what are you what are you gonna do with that? Are you just gonna stick it in your mattress? No, you're probably gonna seek out maybe an, an investment advisor or somebody, and you're gonna give that five thousand, ten thousand dollars to an investment advisor because what do you want them to do with it? Stuff it in their mattress? No, you want them to invest it you want, it, you want it, them to do something with it that's going to cause it to grow. Why? Because you expect, as the owner, you expect a return from that investment advisor. And if every year they give you the report and all they've done is lost money, lost money, lost money, lost money, you know, obviously that's not a good investment. So God's made an investment in you and he wants a return. So Matthew 25:19 says... This is the accountability part. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. Another way you can circle those words, settled account, because there is going to come a day when the master is going to return, Jesus is going to return, and what he's going to do is he's going to settle accounts with us. In other words, we're going to be audited by God. How many of you have been audited by the IRS? Anybody audited by the IRS? Yeah, you gotta, God bless you, you. A couple of us here. Uh, well, let me just tell you, that ain't nothing compared to being audited by God. There's going to come that day where God is going to do an audit in your life because he, he prepared in advance. He created things for you to do. Uh, You're a workmanship of him. He created you to do some things uh, as you walk through life of, with Christ Jesus. So then, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 14, same thing, verse 12. So then, each of us will give an account. That's the audit. Every single person will give an account of himself to God. So one day we're going to give an account, and it's did we waste it? Did we just spend it? Or did we invest it for the kingdom of God and for the good of others? So God's audit will begin with your life with this. Here, I'm giving you a heads up. Here's the audit question God's going to ask you. What did you do with what you were given? That's the audit question. What did you do with what you were given? So Jesus is going to just drive this point home Uh, to the disciples. It's absolutely critical for them at the time and absolutely for us as well. So ownership, allocation, accountability. Fourth is utilization. Did we utilize our talents? And so the lesson is super easy. It's wrong to bury my talents. We're going we're to find that. It's wrong just to waste them or spend them. It's wrong to do that. So verse 16, 25, 16. He who had received the five talents, went at once he traded with them, he invested them. He made five more talents. Also the one who had two talents, he invested them. He made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. He didn't invest it, he wasted, he spent it. He did anything but invest it, okay? So he expects us to invest our talents, whether it be opportunities or time, treasure, et cetera, for God's purposes. So the first guy, five talent guy, he invests it, makes five more. Two talent guy, invests it, makes two talents more. The one talent guy, digs a hole, sticks it in the ground, he buries it. This third guy is cautious, he's conservative, um, he takes the talent that God gave him, and all he did was sit on it. He did nothing with it. He made no effort, all he did was sit. Uh, and, and again, he didn't. it's not like he took those talents, it's not like he took that money and went out and hired prostitutes or bought drugs. It's not like he did something evil with it. He just did nothing with it. He just sat on it. Um, So notice the master's reaction to the guy who just played it safe, played it cautious, played it conservative. Notice what the master's reaction was. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Now that sort of blows my mind. Because you would think if the guy took that money and he, he hired prostitutes, then you would use the words, you wicked you wicked, you slothful. Or if he brought drugs, you wicked, you slothful. Or he hired a, uh, some guy to kill somebody. You you wicked, you slothful. No, that wasn't it. All he did was sit on it. He did nothing. You're the wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. You ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. He just sat on it, buried it, sat on it. And so his sin was just, it wasn't like he's this immoral, horrible person. He just didn't do anything. He just sat. Nothing. Nada. Uh, And all he was interested, his modus operandi was, I'm just going to play it safe. That was his modus operandi of life. So the lesson is you cannot please God by playing it safe. Again, to do nothing is just wicked and lazy. Uh, it's, just, it's just wrong. So the point is this. You can't please God. I want you to follow me now. I'm going to drive it home. You can't please God by merely playing it safe. Now, catch me. You've got to take some risks with the talents God has given to you. Now, why would you use that kind of a word? It almost sounds non-biblical. Why? why are you saying you've got to take risks to do this? Because the Bible says that without taking these risks, you don't need any faith. It takes no faith just to live without any risk. And without faith, Hebrews 11:6 6 says, it's impossible to please who? God! It's impossible to please God without any risk. That, that's why do you all have that little book, The DNA? It's a, it's a big book it's, and you go through that each week. Yeah, that one. That, hold that book up for me. Yeah, see that book? You've got that. On pages 92 to 99, it's, it's this section we're dealing with. And there's a section in there, pages 92 to 99, it talks about, part. three talks about irrational giving. Now it's not saying that means irrational means you're taking a risk. What rational giving is? Okay, I'm going to go through the through the month. Ah, if I have some money left over, then I might give something to the Lord. That's that's rational giving. But you know where? Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about rational giving. Throughout the entire Old Testament, you know what it is? It's give your what? First fruits. Why does it say first fruits? Because that's irrational. I mean. Why in the world would you give the first stuff that comes in the month? Why don't you wait until the end of the month? That's more rational. But that the risk is giving first fruits. Why? Because it takes faith. But it's faith that pleases God. So that's, that's, that's this particular guy. So let me just ask you, what risk have you taken for the Lord this week? It, it might not be money-wise. It could be your time. It could, it could be opportunities that have come your way. And you go, oh, no, I'm going to play it safe. Here's an opportunity, but I'm going to play it safe. You know, it, It's not like you're, you're saying, oh, I, I would much rather go out and rob a bank than do this. It's No, I'd just rather sit on it. I'd rather just do nothing than than take this opportunity. So, again, it applies to... Uh, very broadly. So what risks have you taken this past month, this past week, this past year, that you have to take in faith for the glory of God and for the good of other people? Uh, Doing nothing with your life. Here's one of those lessons that I wrote down. Doing nothing, with. I'm not saying doing something bad, I mean obviously doing something bad's bad but just doing nothing is absolutely inexcusable. I think God would rather you attempt something by stepping out in faith than have you do nothing and succeed at nothing. Well, this one talent man, that's exactly what he did. Nothing. It's not like he did something bad. He did nothing. Folks, listen. Parkview Church has some... Very big goals. I I mentioned it in the first service. I I love Doug Schillinger. I mean, the vision that he has for Parkview Church is—it's irrational. Okay, I would be much more rational. Okay, do we do we have the time? Do we have the money? Do we have this? Do we have that? And next week I'm actually preaching at at, uh, Harvest City, and I'm going to be dealing in in John chapter six, which, which talks about how how the disciples, some of them were given to rational thinking and they got in trouble for it, okay? And yet, you know, the, the things that we've done, I mean, look what's happened here. Look, look what's happened here. I mean, the, the fact, look at Faith Academy. I, I look at Faith Academy and I say, was it rational to add a sixth grade? Answer. No. Was it irrational? Yes, why? Because it took what to go to a sixth grade? Faith. Faith. And what does faith do? Faith pleases God. He's excited about that. Because we don't know where the money's going to come from. We have no idea. But that pleases God. And we're going to see something that comes from that in just a second. I love Doug Fern. Uh, You know, over the years, just getting, getting... to be around Doug Fern is just a picture of irrational faith. Um, I mean that in a very, very positive way. <laughs> a very positive way. If anybody listens to that outside of this message, you'll go, oh boy, Joe. <laughs> I mean that extremely positively because I mean, he sees what God is calling his life to do, Parkview to do, willing to step out on faith, not to be discouraged, move forward. And uh, I think it absolutely pleases God. So you look at the L. I mean, folks, this whole building, guess who owns this building? Guess who owns it? Yeah. Well, God is the owner of everything. Guess who's paying for it? You. No. (laughs) I mean, but but, I mean... uh, I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, three, four, five years ago, could you even imagine that happening? So there's so many things. So let me just put it this way. Failure is not failing to reach a goal. Failure is failing to set a goal. Failure isn't failure uh, to reach a dream. Failure is failure only when you refuse to set a dream. Failure doesn't mean that you'll never stumble, you'll never fail, you'll never falter, but failure is refusing to get up when you falter and when you stumble and to keep going after that. And as long as we're attempting things for the glory of God, hey, don't turn my mic down. I'm intending that to get higher. (laughs) So success is by faith attempting great things for the glory of God. What do you think? Now, this is a serious question. Why do you think Jesus picked on the one-talent man? I mean, he, he had the five-talent, they doubled it, the two-talent, he doubled it, one-talent, dug a hole. Why did Jesus pick on the one-talent person? Couldn't he have picked on the five-talent? You know, the one-talent person doubled it, the two-talent person doubled it, the five-talent person dug a hole. He could have, but he didn't do it. I mean. Let me tell you what he's not doing. He's not trying to pick on the person with one talent. He's trying to drive something home because we all know. Look, there, there are people who have a lot and they do a lot with it. There are other people who have a lot and they sit on it. There are people who have very little but they do a lot. I mean, look at the widow's might. Look at the one person in the Bible, we don't even know her name, with her little widow's mite, did a lot with it. But there are also people who have a little who do very little with it. So there, there are your four options for all of life. Don't turn me down. There are your four options for all of life. You can either do a lot with a lot, a little with a lot, a lot with a little, or a little with a little. Those are the only four things you can do. So why did Jesus pick on the one-talent guy? I'll tell you why I think. I think think the reasoning, because there can come with those who have a little, some defective reasoning that goes something like this. Well, I'm not a superstar. I don't have the money like so-and-so has, so I'll let them do it, and I'll just sort of sit and bury my talent. Or, hey, I, I can't sing like, like Liz can sing, so I'm sure not going to sing, I'll just bury my talent. Or I, I can't preach like Doug Fern can preach, and I can't, but <laughs> so I'm just not going to preach. Or I can't teach like a Mark Mesnick, so I'm just not going to teach. So that's how the reasoning can go. And so I'm just going to sit and I'm just going to play it safe. In other words, you're not going to invest it, you're going to bury it. But the problem is, you were created for ministry. Now, let me give you the downside of that kind of thinking. Because I look around, and there are so many Christians that have no joy. They have no joy. They have no spark in their lives. And I'll tell you why there isn't. It's, It's because... I mean, they could be an ad for a Geritol commercial. They look so sad, you know, constipated, you know, just stuck up. Uh, I'll tell you why I think there are so many Christians that have lost their spark, they are lost their joy, it's because they're sitting on the sidelines and playing it safe. Now it does not take a work from the Holy Ghost for you to sit on the sidelines. You can just sit on the sidelines. It takes no faith at all to sit on the sidelines. And without faith you're not going to please who? God. And when you don't please God you're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You're not experiencing joy. You're not experiencing happiness and, and excitement. It, and again, it's not like you're. It's not like you're committing adultery or you know all this horrible stuff. You know that we could. Of course, I'm just using the list that I'm not doing. Okay, I, I could use the list that I am doing. Worry, you know, tax evasion. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so. I hope there's nobody from the IRS in here. I really am kidding. Here's my social security number. You can check it out. But um, when there's no, we just bury our talents, we sit on the sidelines, there's no joy. So the lesson is this. The lesson is simple. Just because you can't do the spectacular, you're the one-talent one person. Just because you can't do the spectacular doesn't excuse you to do nothing. Take that one. Invest that one. Use that one. So the question is what, whether you're a five talent, whether you have a lot or a little. Why do, you do, why do you do a little with a lot? Why do you do a little with a little? What is it that keeps us from doing that? Let's look at the fifth principle, the principle of motivation. What keeps us from doing a lot with a lot or a lot with a little? And that's fear. Fear will keep me from using my talent. That's Satan's favorite tactic, to put us in the prison just to play it safe, keep us from using our talents. Verse 25 says, so I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. So let me give you three kinds of fear. The fear of doubt. Oh, I could never do that. I'm not qualified to do that. I haven't been trained to do that. I'm just going to play it safe. I don't want to fail. I don't want to look like a fool. That's self-doubt. There's another kind of fear, and that's self-pity. Well, I've failed. Jeff, you wouldn't believe how I failed in the past. I'm never, I'm never going to try again. Self-pity. How many of you pulled for, for Milwaukee? the Milwaukee Brewers. Anybody, well, oh, God bless you, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, it was a number of years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday, 1954. I'm just kidding. I was only four years old in 1954. But in 1954, it wasn't the Milwaukee Brewers, it was the Milwaukee Braves, that's correct. So opening day, opening day, 1954, the Milwaukee Braves were playing the Cincinnati Reds. Now, there were two players that hit the field, 1954. One of them's name was Jimmy Greengrass. I'm sure none of you have heard of Jimmy Greengrass. He was up, got up to the plate four times, first time in the big leagues, first time in the big leagues, opening day. He he goes four for four with four doubles. Now there was another rookie who, who hit the field for the first time, 1954, in that game. He went 0 for four. Not only did he go 0 for 4, whiff, 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 he struck out four times. But everybody, everybody here remembers Hank Aaron, right? I mean, shake your head even if you don't say yes. You remember Hank Aaron? So never let the fear of striking out keep you from taking a swing. You know, think, of, think of Peter. Think of self-pity. Think of Peter. Think of him throughout the entire Gospels. He's got his foot stuck straight in his mouth constantly. And then here when Jesus gets crucified, he denies Jesus three times. If there's anybody who could have just hit the sidelines because of pity, it would have been Peter. And yet you come to the day of Pentecost, And who is it that God chooses to preach? And not only does he preach, 3,000 people are led to Christ. It's Peter. Mr. Failure, Mr. Footmouth, is the first preacher of the church. See, it it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong in the past. What matters is where are you headed right now today? Self-doubt, self-pity. One more, self-consciousness. And that is, what are other people going to think? Proverbs 29 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The moment you start caring about what other people think, you are dead in the water. Now, Juliana, my daughter Juliana, just finished writing this book. We might have a picture of the front, front of it up there that's your cue. <laughs> anyway, it's called Pull It Off. And um, anyway, this, it's a book that she wrote, and the subtitle is Removing Your Fears and Putting on Confidence. She did an incredible job because so many people are driven by what do other people think. So she sang at Parkview. Liz, you might be interested in this. Julianne, my daughter, sang at Parkview. a number of years ago. And she dresses wild, okay? I mean, believe me, I don't dress her and she dresses. Wild. And you know, and she was she was criticized by people at Parkview because of the way she looked, because of the clothes she wore, the color of her hair, you know, the whatever. Um, and it's not me. I don't know where she got it. It, it wasn't my jeans that did that. But anyway, uh, it's just so critical not to be driven by what other people think. She did a great job helping you there. So, what was his excuse for not using his talent? This one talent man. Verse 24 says, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. Listen, that was the excuse this one talent guy gave. That's not true at all. He was trying to make an excuse for doing absolutely nothing. So instead of just saying, I did nothing with it, he's actually blaming The master, God, it's your fault. If you would have just given me five talents or ten talents, then I would have done something. Because you only gave me one, I couldn't do anything. You know, it's like, oh, Lord, you know, the the reason I didn't serve you is because when I was three, my mother washed my mouth out with soap. My mom actually did it on numerous occasions. Um, And it's caused repressed feelings throughout my whole life. And so I can't serve you. She's using these ridiculous excuses not to serve the Lord. So how many of you are bearing your talents, refusing to get involved in ministry, refusing to use whatever talents he has for the greater glory of God, for the good of others, and you're just blaming God, blaming someone else, blaming circumstances? Do you know how to spell blame? I'll tell you how to spell blame. Be lame. That's blame. Be lame. Um, So fear will cause you to make excuses and do nothing. So let me give you the application, number six, six principle, real quick, six principle application. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. That's verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who now has 10 talents. Now, does that sound fair? Listen to this. What we need to take away is God has the right to do anything, to take anything away from me that I don't invest for him. But on the other side, if you use your talent for the Lord, then watch it grow. Watch it grow. It's just like your body. How many of you ever exercise? Oh, How many of you occasionally go on a walk? Okay, <laughs> Good. It's like if you exercise, if you exercise, um, let's say if you don't, let's say if you just absolutely refuse to use your arms anymore, what's going to happen to the muscles in your arms? They're going to atrophy. The muscles are going to degenerate. The muscles are going to go away. But now, let's say, you start working hard and you you start going to the gym and you, you start doing whatever it takes. What's going to happen to those same muscles that you work really hard at? They're going to actually, you're not going to use them up and they go away. They actually get stronger, bigger and stronger. That's exactly, like, like Doug Fern, they just get bigger and stronger. Uh, I occasionally get to see him at, at North Dodge and he works really hard on the one or two days a year that he goes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, So let's look seventhly at compensation. The compensation is if you use it wisely, you're going to get rewarded. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so look at these three rewards that we find here. The reward of affirmation. Well done, good and faithful servant the reward of promotion you've been faithful with a few things i'm going to put you in charge of many things and then the reward thirdly of celebration come and enter into the joy of your master there's that joy there's there's that spark there's that happiness so what about you what are you doing with what god has given to you there are only three options either you're going to waste it you're going to spend it or you're going to invest it for god and for his glory. And I think the happiest people in the world are those who use those abilities and resources and opportunities for the purpose that God designed uh, for them, even before they were, were born for ministry. I just want to close uh, by asking you a very serious question. This is the pretest question for when Jesus returns, and the pretest is the audit question, what did you do with what I gave you? What are you gonna say? I just really want you to start considering what God has given you. Don't worry about if it's five talents or a thousand talents or one talent. That doesn't, matter. that doesn't matter. But what are you doing with what God has given to you? What what you have is God's gift to you. But then what you do with what you have is your gift. Uh, to God, well, let me let me pray together. Lord, as we look out upon your church and, and we we see it filled with so much untapped potential, Lord, there are so many people here who have been so faithful with the talents and, and with the abilities the opportunities that you have given given them i just i look at this church and think what a miracle it is and yet on the other hand lord we know that, that there are those whether it's here or at the main campus or north campus that are are just sitting on what god wants to do with their lives and and for some reason something is keeping them from using their talents whether they're just too busy or uh, let me just remind you of when god does an audit on your life uh, what will the bottom, of the, of the bottom line be? Uh, will he say to you, you've, you've just done an awesome job, a great job, and I, I'm so proud of your faithfulness. Thank you for taking those risks that weren't rational. They were almost irrational. And, and uh, I just want to pour out joy in your life. And some of you have thought, I, I really would love to get involved. I'd really love... Start using my gifts, my talents. and Maybe there are some things that you've, that you've given me that I could use to be a benefit to your kingdom, a benefit for your glory. Maybe there's talents that I have that I can give back to you. Well, God, God has a word for you this morning, and that is go for it. Do it for the glory of God, for the good of his kingdom, and for the good of others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.